Well, we've been walking through this series over the last uh, few weeks, uh, talking about David, uh, King David from Israel. Obviously, man, incredible things that we learned from his life. And we, we've entitled this series, Chasing After the Heart of God, because you know Acts chapter 13 says that David was a man after God's own heart. And, and I hope that's like the longing of all of our hearts. I hope that's like what we desire in our own journey. That no matter where we are in the path, no matter where we are in our journey with Christ, like that our desire, our longing, our hope is this, is that, yeah, we want to be men and women after the heart of God, that we want to chase after who He is so that we can grow in uh, the knowledge of who He is and the power that He brings to our lives. And so, like, like clearly, like, that's, that's the hope that we have for the journey that we're on. Now, in light of that, we've been talking about a lot of things that we can learn from David and, the, you know, all of the things that he went through in the attacks that Saul threw his way, trying to stop him and trying to kill him. We've talked about all of the, the journey that he got going from a, a young shepherd boy all the way to becoming. Last week we talked about when he was uh, anointed the king and he was crowned the king of, uh, of Israel. And we've talked about like that journey of like what that looks like and what we can learn all along the way. But today what we're going to talk about is the part of David's life that he probably wishes that we wouldn't talk about. We're going to talk about like the failures of David's life. Because one thing that we need to know, that you need to know, that I need to know, that we always need to be reminded of is this, is that failure is always going to be something that you struggle with. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the church. I was talking with Johnny, uh, Johnny Hunt this morning before the service. Johnny Hunt is 95 and a half years old, and he always throws in the half. He's 95 and a half years old. He is an active Gideon. He goes to the prisons and preaches the gospel. He is passionate in serving God and doing whatever uh, God allows him to do, whatever door that God opens, he walks through that door. And he's 95 and a half. Like he's continuing moving forward. It doesn't matter how far you are along the journey. I look over here and I see Duke and Carlene Westover. Today they're celebrating their 68th wedding anniversary. And as they walk through this journey of 68 years together, like it doesn't matter how long they've been married. It does to Carlene because she's like, man, she's been married for 88 years because of having to be married to Duke. But, but 68, like this journey that they've been on is one that clearly like, they recognize and understand, Johnny, Duke, Carlene, all, like, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this, failure is still a reality. Like, something that you're going to have pop up in your life, that, that you're going to mess up, that you're going to fall flat on your face, and it's going to happen more times than you care to wish for or care to admit. And so what we can learn from David is like, so how do we, like, respond to that? How do we walk through those moments of failure and actually come out on the other side better than when we went in? And so today, I've entitled the sermon, Failure is Not Final. And I think that's something all of us need to learn. Because there are people, and, and I've met them, I've had the opportunity of, of having conversations with them, I've, I, I've met them along the journey and along the way, that there are times when, when people who are devoted followers of Christ have failed. They've given up because they felt like we've blown it once too many. Like, like we've taken one step too far, and God is done with me. I want you to hear me today. God is never done with you. It does not matter how badly you've fallen. 
It doesn't matter how significantly you failed. It doesn't matter how much you have messed up. That you are never outside of the grip and the scope of the power and the presence and the love and the forgiveness of God. You never step outside of that position as a follower of Christ. And if that's the only thing that you walk out of here, this room, this room today with, that's a good message for you to know. Failure is not final. And so let's talk about the failures of David. Again, he probably wishes like we wouldn't. You know, if he were here in the room, he's like, dude, come on, go back to Goliath. That's a much better story, right? But today we're going to talk about, just briefly, and I'll just point you there, and then we'll go to Psalm 51 in a moment. But you, you know the story of 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, David's king. Life is good. He's living in the palace. Like everything has come to fruition that God had promised him. Like he's living out his best life. I mean, things are good. Joel Osteen could have written a book about David's life at this point. Like his best life is underway. I mean, he is sitting there, he's in the palace, all is well. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, when the spring came, when all of the kings went to war, in other words, when they all went out to expand their kingdom, when they went out to, you know, conquer the enemies, when they went out to do the things that kings do in order to be successful, it says that David was hanging back at the palace. And so what that tells us, like right up front, is this, is that David had gotten to the place where he was pretty comfortable, right? And you know that when you're comfortable, the most likely scenario that flows from or comes from comfort is complacency. And so in David's life, what happened is complacency came. He was comfortable. Life is good. And so it says he was sitting out on the rooftop one day, like he had a little terrace on the rooftop. Probably had an umbrella out there, probably had a nice lounge chair sitting there. You know, he, he was sitting there drinking non-alcoholic, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, drinks, you know. He was just sitting there, like having a great time, right? Like life is good. And he's sitting out there, you know, there's a barbecue going across. He's got some hot dogs and hamburgers thrown on there. I mean, it's like, it could not be better. Weather is perfect. And as he's sitting there on the, on the top of the palace there, on the rooftop, he walks over to the edge of the rooftop to look over his kingdom. And you know the story. He sees this woman. And he sees this woman and instantly lust burned in his heart. That he saw this woman and he wanted that woman for his own. And so he sent his people to go get that woman and bring that woman to the palace. And so Bathsheba was brought to the palace. You know the story that he uh, and, and Bathsheba were together. Uh, they committed adultery with one another. Uh, she became pregnant. And when she told David that she was pregnant, David now, after knowing that he had sinned, now he knows he's got to cover up the sin. And by the way, if you notice, I'm going to walk you through like this scenario that every single one of us have walked through at some point in our lives, right? So we've committed the sin, and now we've got to figure out how to cover up the sin, right? So that's what David does next. And so David, in this city, setting, he says, hey, bring his, uh, her, her husband back from the, the battlefront and, and let him go home to his house, to his wife for a few days, just to, to bless him and to encourage him because he's such a great leader. Why? Because he wanted everybody to think that that baby was her husband's. But you know the story, right? Uriah comes back, but Uriah would not go to his house. He stayed outside of the house. He would not go in because he thought, my men are out there fighting on the battlefield. I'm not going to go in and, 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 and walk through a season of pleasure when, when my men are out there fighting. I'm not going to do it. So he stayed outside of the house. And David was angered by this because the cover-up didn't work. And because the cover-up didn't work, 
He then continued, and through coercion, he tried to figure out another way. They tried to get the man drunk and send him home to his wife, and he still wouldn't do it. And so now David goes from sin to cover up of sin, that now he actually has to take that sin even further, and he tells his people, okay, send Uriah back to where the fiercest battle is taking place. And it actually says, so that he will be killed. So David planned the murder, the death of Uriah, so that he could take Bathsheba as his own wife. Now, there had to be like a, a very short, a very brief period of time here that all of this took place. And the reason is because he had to make sure that everyone thought that that baby that was growing inside of Bathsheba was his own. So like all of this is like taking place really quickly, which means that David was not thinking straight. And by the way, let me just ask you to ask yourself a question. Have you ever been through that journey in your life, right? Sin, cover-up, another cover-up, and then figuring out how to make it through. And all the while, like, the, the wheels in your brain are spinning as fast as you can possibly imagine in order to get through that thing so that you will not have to experience the consequences of your sin. I mean, that's a journey we all walk, right? So that's a failure, no question. From a man after God's own heart, that failure was a reality. And so, as we walk through this story, we know the story, we know the tragic outcome from this story, but what can we learn from this story? So I told you to turn to, sec, uh, to Psalm 51. I want you to hang out there for a moment. Before we get to that passage, though, I want to read another passage that took place in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 12. And, and I want to read this story out of 2 Samuel chapter 12 just briefly before we move through Psalm 51, because it tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 and following, it says, So the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was the prophet, sent Nathan to David. And when he arrived, he said to him, he said to David, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large, large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. And he raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. And from his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. And now a, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for his guest. He slaughtered the lamb and he prepared it for the guest. And David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and has shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. And Nathan replied to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hethite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite's sword. Now therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hethite to be your own wife. What do we read in that passage? It's clear. David, who was a man after God's own heart, has just been described by God himself, you are an adulterer and you are a murderer. Now think about that for a moment. A man after God's own heart, you are an adulterer 
and you are a murderer. Now, because we live in 2022, because we live in a culture today where so many people hear things and think that that's license or permission, I want to make this very clear. This sermon today is not giving you license to be an adulterer or a murderer, okay? Do you under, does everybody understand that, right? Full disclosure, I'm going to have you sign a release when you walk out of here, right? Like, so this is not permission to go and do what David did, but understand this, even with what David did, God was not through with him. And so no matter what you have done, God's not done with you. No matter what it looks like, God is not done. And so let's talk about this picture of failure and how we can learn from this idea of failure. And again, from David's own life, like what is it about David that he could still, in the book of Acts, be called a man after God's own heart, after all that he had done and after all he had gone through? Now, the first thing we have to understand this idea about failure, this this picture of what this failure was in David's life is just simply this, is that failure happens even when you're chasing after the heart of God. So I talked to you a moment ago about Johnny Hunton. Johnny Hunton clearly, like like of all the people I know, I would put him like in the the top 10 list, right? He's in the Hall of Fame, in my mind, uh, list of people who are chasing after the heart of God. But what we recognize is this, is that failure happens even when you are chasing the heart of God. Look what it says back in the passage I read a moment ago, verse 7. In the first part of that verse, Nathan replied to David and said, you are that man. David, king of Israel and king of Judah. David, man after God's own heart. David, God's own anointed. David, the one that God had raised up. David, the one that had defeated Goliath in the name of God. David, the one that had killed the ten thousands in the light of what God had called him to do. You, David, are that man. You are that sinner. You are the one that has blown it. You are the one that has failed. You are the one that has royally messed up. Verse 9, he says, why then, David, have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider to be evil? Hear me when I say this. Sin is no respecter of persons. If sin can creep into the life of a man after God's own heart, if sin can creep into the life of a man that God anointed as his king, if sin can creep into the life of a man like David that God had used to do such incredible things, hey, quick question. Do you think Satan might be able to get a hold of you? And I hope you know that the answer is yes. And it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter like, like how far along in this journey of following Christ you're in. Like Satan clearly has the opportunity, he has the desire, he has the weapons and the tools, he has the opportunity to come after you and to get you to trip up. Failure is a reality. Even when you are chasing after the heart of God, if it was true in David's life, man, it's going to be in true, it's just going to be true in your life as well. And so recognize in this passage, like, like it's going to happen. So that's the first understanding that we must have, that it is reality. But then from that reality, there's some other things that we need to understand and learn from David's life that we can apply in our own as we continue to chase after the heart of God, is that failure is always destructive. So I I say that right after I say that failure will always happen because I know that the idea that some might have is, well, wait a minute, if it happened to David, 
If David did that, if Paul did that, like if, if they were like that bad, then maybe it's okay for me to be that bad. It won't be that big of a deal because I'm not the king of Israel. Like, I'm not the one that's writing, like Paul, the most of the New Testament. So, you know, if they can get away with it, well, then so can I. It's not that big a deal. Failure is always destructive. Now, go to Psalm 51, and let's read the first couple of verses. David is writing this in response to Nathan's approach. So, remember, Nathan the prophet comes to David he tricks David to get mad about what this man did with the lamb that was owned by this poor man. And when David finds out that he's been tricked and Nathan says, you are that man, here is what David in response writes this psalm from a broken heart, a contrite heart over what he had done. Psalm 51 verse 1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Go back to verse 3. I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Now, I said a moment ago that failure, sin, is always destructive. How is it destructive in David's life? Well, obviously, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Obviously, there was a baby that was born from that. And because of David's sin, that baby died. We read that in the Scriptures, and David, his heart was broken over the loss of his son. You continue reading in what happened after Nathan declared what God said, that the sword will never leave your household, David, because of your sin. And we see that after his son died, then we then read later that another son ended up raping David's daughter. And then after that, we read that Absalom goes and, and kills that son, Amnon, who had raped uh, Tamar, the, the sister, that Absalom killed David's other son. And then we read that Absalom, after doing that, that he then thought that he should be the one that takes over, that he wanted to get rid of his dad. And so what Absalom does is he plans a coup against his dad, and he begins a rebellion, and thousands of people were killed as a result of that rebellion. But know this, that that rebellion happened not because of Absalom, but because of David, because of the destruction that comes from the sin, the failure that came through David's life. And then... Through that rebellion, now, remember now, two of David's sons have now been killed, right? Two have been killed. And now you go further on and you see that Absalom, in the midst of that rebellion, that he, even though David said, hey, take it easy on my son. Like, you know, I know you've got to put him down. We've got to stop this rebellion, but you don't kill my son. And what happened? Absalom was killed. So now three of David's kids have died as a result of David's sin. His daughter, Tamar, had been raped because of David's sin. Understand this, sin is always destructive. You can never allow sin to be present in your life and then expect that there will not be a consequence as a result of your sin. We understand from this passage that sin always has consequences, even for the one, the man, the, the woman that is after God's own heart. David was one that God loved. David was one that God had raised up. Clearly, God had his hand on David. And look at the consequences that David had to face as a result of the sin that he committed. Again, we ask the question, if God 
caused that type of consequence to come because of David's sin, do you think there might be consequence to our sin? Do you think maybe there will be a price to pay for your failure, for your sin, that when you walk into those seasons where you allow sin to creep in? And here's what I can tell you, like clearly, yeah, there's always consequence to your sin. It always has a damaging effect on you and your journey. David continued to walk, he continued to lead, he continued to be used by God, but he was never the same again because of sin. So sin is always destructive. Failure is always destructive. And then we continue reading here, but we also have to recognize this and understand this. Failure is to be expected. Like it's going to happen. Go back to the passage, Psalm 51 verse 5. Indeed, David writes, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Throughout scriptures we're taught, Old Testament, New Testament, over and over again, that we are born with a sinful nature. That it doesn't matter whether you grow up in the church or whether you came to Christ later in life. Like, it does not matter that the moment that you were conceived, and by the way, in light of the world and the culture and the time that we live in, like at the moment of conception, life begins. And so in that moment, clearly we understand, like we are conceived with a sinful nature. Scripture teaches us, and we don't have time to go through all of the different passages of Scripture that very clearly lay that out for us, but what we have to recognize is this, is that sin is part of our nature, it's part of our journey, it's part of who we are, so you can expect that failure is going to happen. It is on the way. It's coming after you. Now what does that mean? It means you need to have the antenna up, like paying attention. Now some of you guys know that I'm a, I'm a pilot. I've had my pilot's license now for about 23 years, and, and I love to fly airplanes. I, I love it. It's like my, my, my greatest hobby other than being with my kids. Um, I, I love going out and doing it. Here's why. Because no one can call you on the cell phone when you're in a plane. It's awesome. Uh, you cannot answer or read or receive emails when you're in a plane. Like, I just love it. And so I'll go out there in this little single-engine plane. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like this big jet thing or whatever that's really safe. It's like a little single-engine plane, and you go out in a little single-engine plane, and I know this, that as I'm flying, if something happens to that little single-engine that's in that single-engine plane, I'm in trouble. And the other day, I had to go to a meeting in Kentucky, and so I flew, flew uh, the, the single-engine plane out across the mountains of West Virginia. Now, understand, in West Virginia, there are lots of mountains, and there is very little flatland, and there's very few airports. And so I had to fly over there. And as I was flying over there, there were clouds all underneath me the whole way. I was at 8,000 feet, and I was flying over there, and I'm flying across about an hour and a half or two hours, actually, uh, flying over there. And as I'm flying over there, all the clouds underneath me, I know I'm over West Virginia, and I know that right below those clouds are mountains like crazy. Now, in that moment, here's what I did. I'm sitting there, and I am listening intently to everything that that engine is doing. Like I was sitting there, someone was, was with me, and I was talking with them. And as I was talking with them and flying along, like every time I heard something that I was not expecting, I would stop talking and I would dial in, right? Because my ears were very clearly attuned to everything that was happening. I was watching all of the gauges that were on the panel in front of me. So if any of those gauges looked a little different than they normally do, and in fact, I actually take a picture every time I fly of that panel so that the next time I fly, I can compare them to make sure that everything is exactly where it's supposed to be. Why? Because if at any moment that engine begins to 
fail, if any moment there's a different sound, at any moment there's a failure within that engine, I know this, that as I'm at 8,000 feet over the clouds and the mountains underneath and that engine quits, I'm now a glider. And when that glider goes down through the clouds, I know when I break out in the bottom of that clouds, I know there's mountains there. And as I told the guy that was with me, I said, listen, you know, we're flying along over the mountains here, you know, over the, cloud, over the top of the clouds. Just know this, like if the engine quits, like, you know, going down, like we're going to die. <laughs> he was very grateful that I told him that, by the way. He was very appreciative of that statement. But, but, but my ears are like listening intently to every little thing. Why? Because I want to make sure that at the very first sign of something going wrong, I want to know it. Listen, that's the same thing that we have to do in our life. It's the same thing that you have to do in your journey with Christ, is you have to have your antenna up. You have to have your ears open. You have to have your eyes open to always watch for the things in your life that might go wrong and go wrong quickly because sin is destructive. And it's always to be expected. David knew that. From the time I was born, David said, I've been a sinner. From the moment I took my first breath, man, I've messed up. And David understood that clearly. So he had, listen, he had his eyes wide open. You better too. So failure is to be expected. But then we learn this. Failure should always be followed by repentance. Look what David wrote in verses 6 and following. Surely, David writes, you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the, uh, the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not uh, banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Now understand as we read that passage that what we learn is this, is that repentance will never remove the impact of sin. But we do know that repentance will always remove the destructive power of sin. The consequence remains, but the continuing destructive power is under the blood of Jesus Christ, just like that. That's what 1 John 1 and 9 is all about. Confess your sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, like everything, doesn't matter what it is. Like, like understand that when failure happens, which is to be expected, when failure happens, which we know will come, when failure happens, when sin enters, which we know that Satan is out to get you, do not allow that sin to go unnoticed by you, and don't allow that sin to go without repentance by you. So let me give you a couple of quick thoughts before we close. Some action points that you need to have if we're going to be people who chase after the heart of God that we can learn from the life of David in the midst of failure, in the midst of sin. Like, what are the things that we need to know? <clears throat> First one is this. Spend enough time in God's Word that you will recognize sin quickly. The greatest danger to followers of Christ is that if you stay away from God's Word enough, you will stop noticing sin as much. Because we become 
kind of immune to what sin really looks like. We become desensitized to sin. It becomes normal. You can sit there and you can maybe watch a, a television show or a movie, and if it's got a lot of bad language in it, I promise you it's going to naturally happen. If you keep watching that show over and over again, longer and longer, like week after week, uh, pretty soon that bad language that shocked you when you first heard it, a little bit later it's not going to shock you as much. And it's going to become commonplace. And at some point it will actually enter into your vocab vocabulary. Why? Because you become desensitized to what that is. The only way to combat that is this, spend enough time in God's Word that you will recognize and notice sin quickly. Second thing, waste no time in getting to repentance. My dad always said this, there better be a very short window between the commission of a sin and the confession of a sin. And I love that little phrase that he used. My dad had lots of great little quotes that he gave through the years. Make sure there's very little time between the commission of a sin and the confession of a sin. Why? Because the sooner that you repent of your sin, the sooner you turn 180 from your sin and run back to God, then what happens is you've stopped the movement and the momentum of destruction that's coming. So make it a very short window. Waste no time in getting to repentance. And third, focus your heart on avoiding sin by not avoiding God. Psalm 119.11 says this, Hide God's Word away in your heart so that you might not sin against Him. That's not preacher talk. That's not something that some theologian wrote. That's not some quick phrase that I came up with for the points and purposes of this sermon that might be cool, that might be, you know, a great little thing that you could walk at. That is the Holy Spirit of God said this, Hide God's Word away in your heart so that you might not sin against Him. So make sure that you're focusing on God, spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer, so we can focus on avoiding sin by not avoiding the truth and the power of God's Word. Make that part of your journey. Chasing after the heart of God, failure is going to come. You're going to mess up. It is not final. And recognize that because of the incredible gift of forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, that even when failure happens, you can quickly get right back up on your feet and you can march on and victory can still be yours. <clears throat> not because of who you are, but because of what he's done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that it is to us all that we should and need to live for you. God, I pray that to the people listening to this message today through your word, that we will recognize to be on the alert, to watch out for the sin that, that we know is present in our lives, that we will make sure that we're watching out for the failures that come so that we can quickly follow the path that you've given to us in 1 John 1, 9 of confession of our sin and the forgiveness that you promised, the cleansing that is uh, assured. God, that that is what we will do so that we can be men and women after your own heart. God, let us be that. And God, for that, we give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to close the service. And our team of, of counselors, men and women, they're going to be gathering. And we're going to do something a little bit different today, guys. I'm going to, I'm going to, you don't know this yet, I'm telling you. Uh, come on over here, Ed. You guys, come over. I'm going to have all of our counselors going to be, they're going to be gathered right over here on this side of the stage. 
And we're going to close the service in a moment. They're all going to be over here, and this altar is going to be open. And today, maybe you want to come down, you want to talk to one of them. And you want to come down and say, hey, listen, I, I want to know more about this relationship with Christ. Like, I want to know who Christ is and what He's done for me. Like, I would love to be saved. This team would love to share that with you. Maybe you want to come and kneel here. And maybe what needs to happen today is the confession of sin. Because I, I know in a crowd this size, in fact, in a crowd of any size, if it was just like two of us in the room, there would probably be a situation where there's sin that needs to be confessed. And probably by both people. And so maybe today what needs to happen is you need to come to this altar and kneel here and just, just say, God, I, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Change me, oh God. Clean my life, God. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Maybe you need to come and kneel here today and make that your prayer. Maybe you want to come and join our church family. That's awesome. Maybe you want to come for baptisms that we've seen celebrated today. Love to talk to you about that as well. But when the service concludes in a moment, man, I just invite, like right over here, this is sacred space. Like, like this is holy ground right over here. And so if you need to come down and talk with one of our counselors, we would love to talk with you. And I just encourage you, make your way down and talk with them this morning. God, I pray today, thank you for the work that you're doing in the lives of men and women in this room. God, we want to be people who are called men and women after the heart of God. And so God, if we're going to do that, we have to be willing, Lord, to tackle the things in our lives that keep us from becoming that. And so, God, give us the wisdom we need. Give us the power that we need. Give us the willpower that we need. Give us the, the, the hope that we need. God, allow us to see your hand at work in our lives. And God, for that, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in the work that you're going to do. God, we love you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. The altar is going to be open. I encourage you to come down. I encourage you to connect with our missions team out there about going on a trip. February 18th, we're going to Guatemala. I'll be leading that trip along with Mike and Lisa Bryant. We'd love to have you go along with us on that as well. The altar's open. God bless you. And remember, failure is not final. March on. God bless you. Have a good day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.